Every American will remember this day, October 18th. Uh, yes, our democracy hanging by a thread. Did you see the horrific scenes inside the Capitol? Protesters in the Capitol Rotunda. It was a nightmarish scene. I've never seen anything like this in my life. And we must make sure that all of these people who are protesting in favor of Hamas, in favor of the Palestinians, spend the next 10 to 20 to 30 years in prison. Of course, that's not going to happen, and it probably shouldn't happen. I mean, look, it's a public building. They're in there. They shouldn't be. I, don't think, I think they need a permit to do that. The point is, it's like January 6th. It is. These are pro-Hamas protesters telling people, telling Israel that they shouldn't be fighting back. And it looks like they took over a portion of the Capitol today. That's inside the Cannon House office building. That's congressional property. We own that, actually, the American people. And they weren't done there. Israel took the brave step of dismantling uh, is, uh, Israeli settlements in Gaza, handing it ter That was, looked to me like, obstructing a congressional proceeding, an official proceeding. And they're throwing January Sixers in jail for a long time for this kind of stuff. What else did I see today? Parading all over the place, picketing inside a Capitol building. You can get big trouble for that if, if you're pro-Trump, if you're MAGA. But if you're anti-Semitic and you're rooting for the Palestinians, you get a great big pass in just about 99.999% of the cases. Again, what happens to MAGA? Look at it. Some people are in jail for a thousand days and they still haven't been charged. It is un-American. It is so unfair. Two-tier system of justice. Hello. And actually, this illustrates it perfectly. January 6th. This happened on January 6th, right? Those people walking through, yes, like they're tourists. And you know what? I saw windows broken, and they weren't broken by Trump supporters. Antifa had a presence there. I know that from the Capitol Hill police chief. He testified as such. So that's January 6th. Let's put that next to the scene at the Rotunda today. All those crazy anti-Semites rooting for Israel's defeat. What's worse? Hmm? I mean, really, why is January 6th a day that will live in infamy and today is Wednesday, right? <laughs> uh, no big deal. Well, because the elites, the media, the mainstream Democrats, the culture, unfortunately, they agree with what the protesters on the left are calling for, a ceasefire. And that means Israel must stop defending itself. That means that Israel has to allow their people to be held hostage, allow their women and children to be gunned down. They really don't want Israel to exist. If you don't want Israel to defend itself, you don't want Israel to exist. And in a lot of people's books, that is anti-Semitic. Hmm? And a quick review of the aftermath of what those horrible terrorists did. Women and children at that concert. Who guns down a concert, right? A crazed mass shooter. This time they did it with an organized team of crazed mass shooters. 
that village that they burned to the ground and found civilians, I mean, the elderly, and they gunned them down, and, of course, the hostages. Why aren't we hearing more about them, actually? Don't you? I mean, the whole world should be kind of worried sick. And I keep hearing about Israel has to kind of, they have to check themselves. One more time, January 6th versus the pro-Hamas, pro-terrorist supporters of today. Hmm, another reason why the January 6ers get the shaft. You know what they think of us. You know, Hillary said it out loud. You can put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. Takes one and no one, Hillary. Unbelievable. That is a description of the hardcore left of the Democrat Party. Really is. Hey, I'll give this to Hillary. At least she could make herself understood as she was saying that horrible stuff. People could understand her. But the man who got more votes than anyone ever in history, Joe Biden, this was him today in Israel. You know, uh, Years ago, I asked the Secretary of State when he and I were working in the Senate to write something for him, and he said, uh, he wrote a line that uh, I think is appropriate. He said, uh, it's not, we lead, uh, not just, uh, well, I won't go into it, I'll wait later. Taking too much time, but the point is this. The point is this. It's on the Biden family. Jill Biden, you gotta fix this. You gotta, this is, This is a horrendous embarrassment to the country, to the Biden family. And yeah, I think the white, the first lady, Jill Biden, isn't she a doctor or something like that? She's got to intercede. And don't throw Tony under the bus, your silly little story. Tony, Tony Blinken actually did spend uh, a good chunk of his career working on the staff of Joe Biden. He has no business leading the State Department. He can't have a staff guy take a big job like that. That requires leadership. Hey, was anybody else confused when Joe Biden started throwing around the money today to the bad guys? Today, I'm also announcing $100 million in new U.S. funding for humanitarian assistance in both Gaza and the West Bank. Wow. Um, This fiction that the people in Gaza and the West Bank don't support Hamas It's hugely popular, hugely popular. Now, we want nothing bad to happen to women and children, but this is a myth that's perpetrated by this administration that somehow Hamas is this renegade group that nobody supports. It has immense support. And isn't it fascinating that you can lose a job if you say all lives matter, but if you're Alicia Keys and you're a superstar singer, You can go into the gutter with Hamas and be cheering them on. This is one of the most powerful women in America, 27.1 million followers. And that actually equals power. And Alicia Keys says she wants to go paragliding in Israel. Get the joke? Paragliding? Remember the first wave that hit that concert, those crazy lawnmower uh, thingamajigs that actually were quite effective in taking people out? Where does this come from? I am convinced it comes from Barack Obama. We never knew that man. Ooh, what a deceiver all along. And now he's running the country. You know it, and I know it. And you know who his soldiers are? Well, on the front lines are these women, the squad, AOC, and her histrionics, right? It's all about keeping her 
satisfied or at least in check. She has more moral authority in the Democrat Party than Joe Biden. It goes for Elon Ilmar, the one who said, making jokes about 9-11, uh, Presley, Tlaib, and the rest of them. These are the leaders of the party. And as far as 9-11 goes, no big deal. No big deal. Can you imagine after 9-11 if we started listening to al-Qaeda to actually what they had to say and believing them, believing them? It's kind of like what? a good chunk of the media did when they talked about that hospital getting blown up. According to Palestinian officials, hundreds of people at the hospital were killed by an Israeli airstrike. The Palestinian health ministry is saying a hospital in Gaza City in the northern end of Gaza has taken a direct hit from an Israeli airstrike. This was an airstrike. It was a deliberate war crime that Israel conducted on this hospital. All right, Gaza fired that rocket and it came down on the hospital. These people are either completely gullible or completely lying. One or the other. Hamas, though, these people will actually use human shields. They will put military targets. They'll co-locate them with civilians. Uh, it's, it's what they do. Now, having said that, there will be civilian casualties. Women and children will die uh, tragically. It's a tragic offshoot of any war. It's one of the reasons why you don't want to fight a war unless it's absolutely necessary, because it happens in every war, every single war. There are war crimes. There's collateral damage. There's friendly fire. Even the best wars, the best clear cut we know right and wrong, World War Two. Uh, and from there, a little bit more murky conflicts like Vietnam, Afghanistan, Iraq. Uh, for example, in Vietnam, it's estimated we had about 55,000 casualties. Something like 8,000 of them were attributed to friendly fire. Isn't that like a huge number? Isn't that disturbing? But that's, that's what happens in war. War is hell. One of America's great heroes... Pat Tillman, remember the football player? I think he was with uh, the Cardinals, right? And he left a very successful career to fight for his country. Killed by friendly fire in Afghanistan. Makes him no less a hero, but this is something that happens and will happen. As the bombers circled 12,000 feet above them, instead of targeting the Taliban, the Air Force controller made a fatal mistake. He gave the B-1 crew the location of the U.S. soldiers as the target and, quote, improperly directed the aircraft over a friendly position. Horrible, tragic, but that's what war is, and it happens whenever you go to war. I want to show you this, the border between Gaza and Egypt. Drop the banner. This was today. This photograph is from the last, actually, 36 hours. It looks pretty desolate, right? Now, they got two million people in Gaza about to potentially be shelled, right, and invaded. They want to get out of there. Egypt won't let them in. How about that for border control? Compare it to our situation, which looks like, I mean, doesn't this look like it should be the scene in Gaza and not the scene in uh, Texas, right? Something is very, very wrong, very, very upside down. And as Joe Biden travels the world, well, mayhem and chaos follow. Beirut, that big uprising right outside the American embassy, just like, well, just like the 1980s. 
Turkey a huge anti-American, anti-Israel uprising. Just like our, well, our enemy Iran, decades now, they're just as crazy as ever. Remember when they took our guys hostage? Well, they still hate America. They're chanting it all the time, and they're brutal to their own people, whipping them and stoning them if they step out of line more, uh, yeah, right? Right in the downtown plaza there. Yet these people have uh, the confidence to issue a threat like this. They're telling Israel time is up. What does this mean? Time is running out very fast. If the war crimes against the Palestinians are not immediately stopped, other multiple fronts will open, and this is inevitable. What are they talking about? Isn't it time we kind of take care of them? You know what I mean? Victor Davis Hansen will be joining us, the ultimate brainiac and wise man of the moment. So glad he's on the scene. We'll be right back. So how many professors get asked for their autograph? Uh, I don't think too many, but it happens to Victor Davis Hanson, uh, the fellow from the Hoover Institute, and uh, he has a string of other uh, high-level academic credentials. But he is an absolute superstar uh, online. Maybe that has something to do with it, where he takes kind of complex thoughts and just boils them down to direct and very simple. Sometimes it sounds like advice. Here's a sample. Take a look. I think the problem we have with 20-year-olds is they have been sold a bill of goods that have to be cosmically moral or cosmically politically correct or cosmically woke. And they neglect things that are the ingredients of a successful and productive citizenship. So every 20-year-old should say to themselves, am I self-sufficient? Am I polite to people? Do I follow the rules of civility? Am, am I fair to people? Do I judge people on the content of their character? And then they have to say, am I autonomous? As much as a 20-year-old can be. Well, Victor Davis Hanson, in my opinion, is one of the most valuable speakers and writers in America today. Honored to have you, uh, sir. When you, Thank you. You bet. When you went into academics uh, decades ago, did you have ambitions to be this kind of omnipresent intellectual superstar that, that you are, you know, with social media. I mean, does any of this come as a surprise to you? Oh, yeah. I'm, not, I, I'm sitting here in, in the farm where I was born, out in the middle of nowhere in the San Joaquin Valley. And I, sp I work at Stanford, but I try to spend as much time as I can here at where I live permanently. So it was, a, it was a surprise. Nobody in my community knows what I do. So I, it's largely a Mexican-American community of people I grew up with. So they have no idea what I do, most of them. Not all, but most of them. And I even, even my family doesn't know what I do to <laughs> a great extent. Well, hundreds of millions of others do. And uh, it's also your demeanor. I mean, the whole world seems to be falling apart. You recognize that, but there's something reassuring about your demeanor, uh, if I might add that. Well, if you, you don't, uh, I'd like to show you what Barack, I'm sorry, what uh, Joe Biden said a few hours ago. You, you just wrote about it. Uh, take a look, please. Today, I'm also announcing $100 million in new U.S. funding for humanitarian assistance in both Gaza and the West Bank. I, I was a little taken aback by that, and then he talked about the mechanism. Sir, um, your thoughts on what he was, uh, and, and the visit overall to Israel. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, he's been snubbed by the Arab capitals, and he should ask himself why, besides the intrinsic fact that he projects weakness, and that is that they concocted this story that the Israelis had killed 500 innocent people at a hospital when, in fact, it was a Islamic Jihad missile that made a crater in a parking lot, took some lives. It didn't kill 500 people, and it was launched uh, by Palestinians to kill Jews. And I guess part of this gesture to give 100 million was to quell all the riots and protests around the world based on this falsity, and which begs a question, really, and that is, if the rocket had been successful and killed Jews, innocent Jewish civilians in Tel Aviv, would we even be here? Would Joe Biden have given them 100 million? And if he's going to give them 100 million, why didn't he just say this, that we will match every dollar that the Egyptians provide for refugee uh, relief in their own backyard among fellow Arab Muslims. So it just projects a, a, a sense of weakness. And then we're going to ask these moderate Arab regimes to help us or to stand with us in sort of the Abram Accord spirit. And they're thinking, oh, my God, Afghanistan, giving money to the Iranians, $6 billion, the Ukrainian invasion, your open border, Chinese balloon gloves. You guys are just, you're dangerous. We don't want to ally with you. You get us in trouble because you, you project weakness and we can't trust you. So that he knows that money is fungible and all it will do is relieve uh, people in Gaza to spend otherwise Iranian dollars, not on repair, but on uh, more tunnels, rockets and drones. Sir, um, you point out these, um, you know, you're brilliant and uh, <laughs> are you satisfied with the impact that your words are having? Um, because I don't think any of us are right now. I, you know, I, I, I think you guys are doing a great job. I think a lot of people are. But when you look at the plight of the country, $33 trillion in debt and a, a kind of a secure landscape abroad, and all of a sudden we've got Ukraine, we've got Gaza, we've got humiliation in Afghanistan, we've got a woke military, we've got people that we let in through the kindness of our hearts, refugees, first and second generation immigrants from the Middle East, and they fled tyranny, they fled dictatorship, they wanted security, prosperity, freedom, they come over here and what do they do? They cheer on autocracy, dictatorship, and pre-civilizational murder in the Middle East. And they, they look at the gratitude that we offer, and I guess they think that's weakness to be exploited rather than to be reciprocated with kindness. So no, I'm not happy. I don't think any of us are right now. This has been the most disastrous presidency, I think, in the last 50 years by any measure. If we're fortunate enough, and I've been quite clear, I'm pulling for President Trump. I want him to win. I like his policies. I also like his style. I think he's going to need good people around him, uh, extraordinary people, people who break the mold, people who don't necessarily fit in, that aren't normally in administrations. Would you ever consider working for him or working in government? No, I, I think, remember what uh, Clint Eastwood said in one of his movies, a man's got to know his limitations. <laughs> and I have admiration for people, most of them, who go into politics. It's an enormous, uh, you have to have thick skin, you have to, you have to have, uh, devote your whole life to it. And I, I, I know I wouldn't be good at it is what I'm trying to say. So I, I try to stay out of politics. I talk to politicians if they call and want to just talk about things. And I, I, I have a lot of confidence in the Republican field, both uh, I think Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump or anybody who follows that agenda that is not doctrinaire Romneyism or uh, McCainism is going to have some have solutions for these problems. 
And I'm really happy that the Republican Party is now a middle class populist workers party and not stereotyped or caricatured as the domain of the aristocratic golfer, you know. Right. That wasn't a fair character, but that's what the character was. Uh, two more quick things. Um, I was rather naive about anti-Semitism. I didn't realize how prevalent uh, it is. And uh, you've been in academia a long time. Are you surprised or were you aware in this moment? Like, are you, are you surprised? I'm only surprised about one thing, and that is I've seen it for 40 years on the left, especially the diversity uh, equity and inclusion left, but I didn't think they would be so brazen to go out and say things like Israel, you know, Palestine to the sea, which means the destruction of Israel, or gas the Jews in Sydney, or this horrible rhetoric that celebrates, or that Cornell professor, or where I work, a Stanford professor. So that was shocking. They really feel emboldened that there's no consequences, or disrupt a congressional hearing after we were we set the precedence. If you dare go into the Capitol and you disrupt something, you're going to end up five years in prison, as we saw from the January 6 people. And yet they, they're emboldened. They think there's no consequences to both the hateful rhetoric, the hate speech, even though they have lectured us for years that hate speech uh, is free speech. And yet they're, they're, they're culprits right now of some of the most venomous, vile speech I've seen. These are all from so-called intellectuals that, are, that pose as children of the Enlightenment. And they're, they're really pre-civilizational, dark age products. Well, please go to victorhansen.com uh, to learn more and follow him on Twitter, at VD Hansen, H-A-N-S-O-N. Uh, finally, sir, what do you grow on that farm? Well, I used to have grapes. I had a couple of brothers. We had tree fruit and grapes. And now most people have left the area, because, but I'm still here. I have 40 acres of almonds, but my, my family sold out their part of the farm. But I still live in the, the house where I was raised sixth generation. And I think I'll probably end up here. <laughs> it's totally amazing. And uh, we thank you, sir, for uh, your words and your service. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And we'll be right back. It's true, I am an America first, liberty loving Latino. That's why I know this country is worth fighting for. That's why the Chris Salcedo Show will always tell you the truth. The Chris Salcedo Show, for the news you need to know. A swastika in New York City on a Jewish delicatessen. You know there are more Jews in New York City than there are in Israel? Yeah, yet this is happening, anti-Semitism. And look, uh, it's not coming from the white supremacists, okay? It's coming from women and uh, people of color, actually. I don't know why that is, but it is. Not all people of color, a very, very small minority, but it's a thing. I mean, I've been on the lookout for white supremacy, right? They've been telling us all about white supremacy, the number one domestic terror threat to the homeland. And they, boy, oh boy, were they searching for it, right? Remember the Atlanta spa shootings? Uh, law enforcement from the state level, the county level, uh, the federal level even, said, this is not white supremacy. This is some nut job with all kinds of hangups about sex, but it has nothing to do with white supremacy. When I, when we, I spoke with investigators, they interviewed him this morning, and I, uh, they got that impression that, yes, he, he understood um, the gravity of it, and he was pretty much fed up and kind of at the end of his rope. And, um, and yesterday was a really bad day for him, and this is what he did. 
So uh, nothing about white supremacy, but that did not matter. It was a white man. There were some white victims, but there were a number of Asian victims. So white supremacy it is. And Joe and Kamala hop on Air Force One to make a literal federal case out of this tragedy. And they lecture the country, both of them, from Atlanta about white supremacy, a joint president-vice presidential speech all about white supremacy. I find that really offensive. They were talking down our country and playing up a problem that didn't really exist. And now there's a really bad problem, this anti-Semitism thing that's coming from the left, not from the right, and they did nothing to prepare, telling law enforcement that that is the existential threat. Ooh, I have to show you this. Joe Biden, on his way home from uh, Israel, he looked like, uh, well, he did not look like a president, and he didn't sound like a president. Check this out. Can you talk about the impact of meeting the survivors and the first responders? That's all first look. I, I spent an hour and a half about you know, 17 or 18 before. And I don't know how to say this. Virtually every... Uh, he doesn't know what he's doing. He has no idea. Zero. None. And you know what's kind of fascinating? If you look behind him, one of the guys there, Kirby, he's looking at, he's going to look at Blinken in a moment. Like, I told you this is a bad idea. He's just staring at that guy. Why did we bring him back? Why did we let him do this? I told you. I told you in the meeting. We shouldn't have Joe go back to the, <laughs> talk to the reporters. We have seen some really erratic behavior from Joe Biden. Check it out. He wrote a line that uh, I think is appropriate. He said, uh, it's not, we lead, uh, not just, uh, well, I won't go into it. I'll wait later. You're loved, you're heard, and you're understood, and you belong. We see who you are. Yeah! You're loved, damn it! You see? I don't know. Did he, did he, he took something, vitamins, something, something. Uh, that speech actually did not receive enough attention. He did it Saturday night, um, and it was eclipsed by world events. He's speaking to the Human Rights Campaign. It's all about the LGBT queer community, and uh, he was mm, not good and said a lot of things that are wrong. That you are the beacon of light around the world, not a joke. Whether I was in India or wherever I am, the LGBTQ community comes up to me and says, can you help? Not a joke. Not a joke. Uh, why? <laughs> First of all, it's the LGBTQ community, also sometimes known as the LGBT queer community. And also, why would, why, that's not a joke. Of course, it's not even funny if you, you know what I mean. Next. Nearly every day, I get letters literally from children and parents terrified by what they're, what's happening all across America. A 13-year-old transgender child wrote to me, said, I hate looking at the news. Not because I'm a teenager and it's boring, but because it's painful. <laughs> I hear adults much older than me debate about my existence when they don't even know me. Telling ghost stories about America. That's what he does. No other leader of a major country does that. You play up your country. You support your country. You defend your country. 
And what's he doing being pen pals with a 13-year-old? Next. Our message to young people across America must be unequivocal. You're loved, you're heard, and you're understood, and you belong. Yeah, that's it. It's just too intense. All right, one or two more. I received a letter from one mom who wrote me, quote, I despair for families like mine who already become refugees inside our nation. Refugees inside our nation? That's how she feels, like a refugee inside our nation. This is the United States of America and the United States Congress, extreme MAGA Republicans trying to undo virtually every bit of progress we've made. You know, we know what refugees look like. I saw some non-terrorist, non-terrorist family in Gaza trying to go to the South with mattresses and chairs and everything they own on top of the car, right? Because the Israelis appropriately warned them to get out. That looks more like a refugee than somebody, say, driving from Idaho to California to get their child a sex change operation. You know what? That should be inconvenient. You'll want that to be inconvenient. All right. One more, two more. It's one thing to lose someone you know you're going to lose and be there with them and hold their hands like I was able to do with my son. It's a very other thing to get a phone call like I got years ago saying, there's been an accident. Your wife and daughter are dead. I'm not sure. Your boys are going to make it. The uncertainty of those two or three hours trying to get back to find out. It's the worst feeling in the world. It's gut-wrenching. And it's yet another reminder that hate never goes away. So he's decrying hate crimes in the LGBTQ community, all right? We hate hate crimes. Uh, but Joe's son died of brain cancer. That wasn't a hate crime. And his wife and daughter died in a car accident. Again, not a hate crime, but he's trying to say that I, I'm, I, the same thing happened to me. It's shameless. It really is. It's kind of disgusting, actually. You cannot be silent. Silence is complicity. Silence is complicity. Folks, we're the United States of America, and there's nothing beyond our capacity when we do it together. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Uh, it's going to give me bad dreams. We should avoid this man. I'll be right back. go and need news now. No paywalls, no cable subscriptions. Just download the Newsmax app from your smartphone store. It's free. And watch Newsmax TV anytime, anywhere. Well, Alan Dershowitz, the world-famous Harvard professor. Wow. Is there anybody uh, more relevant than Alan Dershowitz? I don't think so. You name it. Um, freedom of speech, excesses of the Me Too movement, uh, Israel, he is all over every single issue of our time. Alan Dershowitz, welcome back. Did you ever think you would be this active? Forgive me, but I believe you're well into your 80s. You've been upfront about that, and you're as busy as ever, and you're as needed as ever. I wish I weren't busy. I wish I could just retire and go to the beach, but the world doesn't let me do it. Look, I've been concerned about protecting Israel from false charges and false accusations since 1967. I'm not going to stop just because I turned uh, 85 years old, as long as the good Lord gives me the energy to 
fight back. I, I'm going to do that. What's going on today with the New York Times uh, putting out false headlines about who is responsible for the um, terrible uh, rocket that uh, uh, Islamic Jihad fired and hit uh, and killed Palestinians, to Harvard students, to uh, you name it. This country is turning in the wrong direction. And it's very dangerous, not only dangerous for Israel, but dangerous for the future of our children and our grandchildren in the United States. Uh, do you see any correction? What is it going to take? We are going, it's like straight for a cliff. Um, and I am personally, I am shocked. You're more aware of probably of anti-Semitism than I am. I was oblivious. I never, never understood it like I'm coming to understand it now. We're fighting back, and we're doing a good job. Uh, we're demanding the names of the students at every university who uh, basically said that rape victims are guilty of their own rape, lynching victims uh, are guilty of their own lynching, beheading victims are guilty of their own beheading. That's what these um, bigoted students basically said at Harvard and other universities, and we're fighting back. Uh, donors are fighting back. No, we're not going to contribute to Harvard until Harvard does a reckoning, a reckoning the way it did after George Floyd about its attitude toward race. Now it needs to have a reckoning toward its attitude toward uh, Jews. Harvard supported Nazis in the 1930s. It had quotas against Jews in the 1910s and 20s. And now it's become, in some respects, the disturma of the academic movement against uh, Jews and against Israel. And we're fighting back, Jews and Gentiles alike. Uh, one of the biggest donors to the University of Pennsylvania, Huntsman, uh, decided to cut off aid. Wexner's decided to cut off aid. Um, I'm a, just a small donor. But I will never give another penny to Harvard, to Yale, to the City University of New York, until they do a reckoning about their attitudes toward anti-Semitism, anti-Israel attitudes, and the failure to protect Jewish students from academic bullying and from a range of other forms of discrimination. What does Disturma mean? Oh, Disturma is the newspaper that was run by Goebbels that talked about uh, how that, that dehumanized Jews and made Germans able to kill them because they thought of them as less than human. And that's what's going on today. In many campuses in the United States, Jews are being dehumanized. We're the privileged people. Uh, we're the people who oppress others. We're the colonialists, and we deserve everything we got. Students have said that the people who went to that concert, that peace concert, deserved what they got because they're colonialists. Colonialists. They're 15, 16-year-old kids whose great-great-grandparents were born in Israel. They're not colonialists. They're your children and my children. But these bigoted students taught by the bigoted professors are, are becoming, you know, when I saw these students sign this letter saying that these victims, uh, the, the, the sole responsibility belonged to Jews, I thought maybe some of them had been my students. And I thought back to the days in Germany in 1935 when Jewish professors were teaching at the University of Berlin, and then three years later, they were being led into the gas chambers by their students, by their former students. I couldn't look a student in the eye today who uh, had signed one of those letters. Look, I have free speech rights. I wouldn't stop them from speaking. I just would hold them responsible for their speech. Let employers right. know that they're hiring people who are bigots, who support rapists, who support beheaders, who support kidnappers. Right. Can you imagine if the university would respond 
if a group of students, 30 groups of students, uh, said that a black church was bombed and it was the fault of the blacks in the church, or a gay uh, a, a bar was shot, it was the fault of the gays, or blacks who were lynched, it's because they were, quote, uppity. That's the way people used to talk back in the 1930s and 40s. Can you imagine if students said anything like that at a university? Would presidents of universities say, oh, we have to be neutral? We can't take a position. Of course not. I understand. Uh, positions, George Floyd killing, they have to take a position on this. Professor, I agree. Let me ask you this, though. The Black Lives Matter movement, every movement, there's always excess, excesses. Some of these students are young and stupid. Maybe they read the New York Times. Maybe they just kind of sit around and they take in this stuff. And the media coverage is awful, has been for decades from the Times mainstream on Israel, misleading coverage. And some of them have been duped, perhaps. Um, no I mean, is no. there, pardon me? No excuse. They're grown-ups. They're held responsible for their views. If they, there are alternate newspapers and alternate news sources that we... Look, I believe strongly that black lives matter, but I believe that Jewish lives matter, too. I will never, ever lend support to an organization called Black Lives Matter, because Black Lives Matter has glorified terrorism, glorified the people who hand-glided down into the, the uh, music festival and kill them. Until Black Lives Matter disassociates itself from every aspect of anti-Jewish, anti-Israel uh, 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 rhetoric and activity, forget about it. I don't think any decent American should support Black Lives Matter. You should support the concept, yeah. but not organization. And, uh, oh, by the way, they got <laughs> we got to figure out where all that money went as well. Alan Dershowitz, in 10 seconds, Bibi Netanyahu. I personally think he's great. I think he's the man for the moment. I know there are problems, though. Uh, what's your assessment of Bibi? I've known him since 1970. He is brilliant. He's strategic. He is uh, tactical. And I think he's the man for the job now. And I think we all ought to remain nonpartisan. Israelis have gotten together. Americans, Democrats, and liberal conservative or to all stand behind Israel because they're fighting not only for their own survival, but for the survival of humanity against these kinds of inhuman treatments. Professor Dershowitz, always an honor to speak with you. Thank you very, very much. Yep. We'll be right back. So in Georgia, uh, just a couple of days ago, there was a, well, a police shot a guy and it's a justified shooting. But you think about why this driver reacted the way he did. I think it's because he consumes mainstream media, constantly telling him that police are racist, police are vestiges of the slave patrol. All of those lies told about police, this is what can result. My name is Wade. I don't care. Step to the rear of this vehicle. In the name of who? In the name of the law of the state of Georgia. Step back here. Now you're getting tased. I, I can't imagine ever not complying with the police officer. Now, you may think that officer is being rough. He's actually, it's understandable. You'll find out in a moment. Back of that truck. Do you see that? Put your hands on the back of that truck. The back of the truck. 
Both hands. Turn around. 34, can you send me another unit? One non-compliant. Police officer has a stun gun in his hand, by the way, and the guy is just, you can see, he's not cooperating. Next. Your name is Officer who? Staff Sergeant Aldridge with the Camden County Sheriff's Office. Who County? Camden County. Put your hand behind your back. Do I have a, do I have a warrant? Wait, wait. No, 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 no. Excuse me. Excuse me. Either put your hands behind your back because you're getting tased. I'm telling you that right now. Why am I getting tased? Because you are under arrest for speeding and reckless driving. I'm not driving. Nobody was hurt. How was I speeding? You passed me doing 100 miles an hour. You see about the rough part? 100 miles per hour? That would get anybody's attention. All right, again, right now it's just a stun gun. Watch what happens next. Hands behind your back! Put your hands behind your back! struggle continues for uh, quite some time. At one point, Leonard Cure, the man in the gray tank top, starts choking the police officer. I mean, really choking him. The officer grabs his gun and shoots Leonard Cure, and he's dead. I do believe, in fact, I know that that man's been motivated by so much fake news and so many lies told about our country and told about the police. This would not have happened if there were not an overreaction completely beyond all proportion to the death of George Floyd.